Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The sermon you're about to hear, Jesus Trusted God's Word, So Can You, was preached by our lead pastor, Paul Smith, on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It was recorded on February 25th, 2024, and is part of our series, True Security. All right, good morning. Great to see you as the lights come up. If you have a copy of the scriptures, go to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. And I don't know if First Alliance is your home church, but make sure you have a church that teaches and preaches the scriptures. So Matthew chapter 4 will trickle into the very end of chapter 3. And uh, but Matthew chapter 4, and just a couple things. You heard about the congregational survey. If you haven't taken that and you're part of the First Alliance family, we would love for you to participate in that. And then after the service, there'll be times of prayer uh, here at the altar. We would love to pray with you about anything, and so we want to be a praying church. And then I, I lead something every Monday night from 6.45 to 7.45 called Vertical, and we'll, it's where our church comes together and prays. And this week, we'll be talking or praying about specifically needs within our congregation. We'll be praying for eight different churches within our city, our local and global partnerships, and then our city, state, and uh, federal officials. So we'll be praying for that theme. And so if you have time, uh, join us tomorrow night or be praying where where you are at. And I just want to affirm to the grandparents, if you're here, yes, your child was the cutest. And so I just want to (laughs) say that. So let me pray and then we'll we'll get into the text this morning. We've given you our praise, our prayers, and now we give you our weakness, our need, our struggle, and you welcome them. We bring to you our inside self. And thank you for loving all of us. Holy Spirit, would you uh, work in spite of the many faults and failings of your servant, for you know they are many. Holy Spirit, teach us what we do not know. Christ, heal in us the wounds that we have that no one sees. And Father, produce in us that which we cannot um, do in and of ourselves, which has produced the character and the nature of your son, Jesus Christ. And the church said together, amen. Well, we are in a series called True Security, True Security. And the reason for that is, Everyone in this room has maybe one or two issues that when you dwell on that, it causes a little angst and worry within you. And we who are Christians who believe the gospel, believe that we can have true security based on who we are and what God has given us in his word. We've said that true security is found in who I am as a child of God in obedience to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Who I am as a child of God, we focused on last week, but it revolved around our identity. If you were to go to 1176 Sunset Boulevard, I've given this illustration before, um, there's a house, and I can go in that house, I can put my feet up on the couch, I can open the fridge, I can, I can, you know, I can have a nap. Why is that? Because I'm the son of Don and Paula Smith, and you are not. My earthly identity as son directs my behavior. When you know you are a loved child of God, it affects your behavior. You're less anxious. There's a sense of God's sovereign and he knows my needs and will take care of me. This is Jesus' theme in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He says, look to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Your heavenly father clothes and feeds them. How much more valuable to him are you than them? Therefore, do not worry, but seek first the kingdom of God. He ends the Sermon on the Mount saying there's two types of people in this world. Both build houses and both experience the storms of life. But the difference is one person builds their house on the rock. The other one builds their house on sand. The one with sand, there's a great crash. What's the difference? One person, he says, hears my words and puts them into practice. That person's the wise man. Keep that in, keep that in mind. The wise man puts the word of God into practice. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, today I'm going to talk about the scriptures and the need for the scriptures in, my, in our lives. But I have had this prayer, God, I pray I'm not perceived as a Bible thumper but one who has experienced so much healing and daily has hope because of what I learn about you through this book. And if your Bible reading has gone gone stale and dry, I'm so glad you're here because I believe that God has fresh bread for you. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself doesn't do. He goes into the desert. He's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he responds, it is written. It is written. And the the statement I want you to know is this, is that Jesus at the most blank of his life put faith in God's word and so can you. Scholars say that after a 40-day fast, you have one foot into death. You're almost about to die. Your body can't take much more. How would you describe that moment? The most painful, the most lonely, the most devastating, the most overwhelming? Yes, all of the above. But you get to fill in the blank. What's the moment that you are in, are in, are you scared you will be in that worries you? The darkest, go ahead, put it in. Painful, put it in. Confusing, put it in. In that moment, that you're in, Jesus was in. He was tempted in every way and he put faith in God's word and so can you. The question is this, simply will you? Will you? It's before you today. Look at the text in Matthew chapter 16. It says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven opened and he saw the spirit of God descending on him, lighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him who I'm well pleased. That's his identity. That's the statement of love. And then Jesus led him by the spirit into the into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He recites scripture. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand there at the highest point and said, if you are the son of God, questions identity, throw yourself down for it is written. Now the devil begins to quote scripture. He will command, Psalm 19, he will, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up and in their hands so they, they will not strike your foot against the stone. Let's stop there. And I remember writing in my journal after I saw the devil quoting scripture and it's this, in this world, evil doesn't always look like evil. Wrong doesn't always look like wrong and he's in the desert. The father's love doesn't always look like love. And you will have this, this statement all throughout this message. 
And Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down to worship me. And Jesus answered, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. We see that the devil's tactics, it's not fear, but it's lies. It's lies. He doesn't want us to believe truth. In fact, Jesus talking about the devil said, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he's a liar for he's the father of lies, meaning the source of all lies. Well, have you realized that both testaments, the new and the old start off with temptations? Um, Jesus in the desert and Adam and Eve, as it, as it come, comes up, there they go. Both of them, one is found faithful and one in unbelief. Um, it says this in Romans 5, for in Adam, we all die by natural birth because of unbelief. The wages of sin is death, but we who are born again, put faith in Jesus Christ and with their new birth. Now we are made alive. Now, one of the things to know is this, when it came to the tree, when it came to the tree, is that Adam and Eve didn't have one tree. There were two trees. It says in Genesis chapter two, for the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the garden and the trees were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and there was tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were commanded not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For that tree, that knowledge was served for God and God alone. It determined their relationship. You see, and Adam and Eve were not created with the gift of eternal life, but as it was contingent on them choosing the tree of life only. Biblical scholar Jonathan Joshua Lennon says this, at the center of the garden was the tree of life, a tree that literally brought life itself. As long as Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they would never die. It would literally be heaven on earth. But the devil comes in. The the serpent comes in and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, he said one tree. But the devil lies, gets him doubt the, the goodness of God and they eat. And sin now enters the story. Separation from God, pain enters our story. Confusion, frustration. And it's not on the outside, it's actually inside of us, in our bloodstream, to where it's passed down to our children. We see that in Cain and Abel. Now it's on the inside of us. And we know the story of Noah's Ark. And God says there's a big redo in creation. The problem is Noah, the most righteous of all men, he goes into the ark. And as soon as the waters recede, the first story about Noah, there's debauchery. Why? Even amongst the most righteous of us, there's sin in us. And the navigation, we don't have a proper North Star. We in and of ourselves, we can't live a righteous life. We'll destroy ourselves left to ourselves. Why? Because evil doesn't look like evil. Wrong doesn't always look like wrong. And God's love doesn't always look like love. For the human situation, where is their hope? How can we be the people God created? Where is their hope? Enter Charlton Heston. Okay, Moses. And you know the story, it's, it's the story of God's setting the nation of Israel free. There's the Passover lamb, one who dies. 
and that represents Christ and that innocent death leads to the freedom from the bondage of of slavery. But they go out into the desert and yet how are they gonna live a life that pleases God, honors God, restore the image? Their minds are, are tuned to the Egyptian ways. Their hearts are turned in of themselves. For that reason, Moses goes up to the mountain and God gives his law. And he says, live this way. And in doing so, the image of God will be restored. Worship one God, not many gods. Be faithful to the one you marry. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. Guard your hearts, don't covet. And that's the beginning of a full kind of revelation of what it means to be his people. Live this way, worship this way. And there's this crescendo moment of why God is doing this at the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, I have set before you, meaning all of the law, life and death. Remember the trees? Blessing and curse. Now choose life that you and your children may live. And it's the picture of all throughout our days, that scenario for Adam and Eve is set before us. Will you choose life? Will you allow God to be God or will you take the bait of unbelief? You see, in doubt and unbelief placed us outside the garden. Trust and faith in God's word places us back in. The garden meaning closeness to our creator, living in his provision and in right relationships with each other. Doubt places us out. Daily faith and trust, not a moment of faith and trust. Daily faith and trust places us back in. You know, I think we really put the bouquet at the wrong place in the Christian life. I am all for the very beginning of the Christian life. I love when people come to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Release the balloons. But there is something to be said of the person who at the very last breath can say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Release the balloons. It's a life of belief and trust in every situation. Now, the Bible uses a word for this person who recognizes God has spoken. I must integrate his word into all of my life. And that word is wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Jesus said, the wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish man ignores my word. For the Lord's commands are are a lamp and his teachings are light and life. God gives us his word because evil doesn't always look like evil. Wrong doesn't always look like wrong. And God's word, God's love doesn't always look like love. For that reason, the book of 1 Corinthians said that Jesus is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Why would he be the wisdom of God? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's loved by the Father. But in the moment of temptation, he says, it is written. The ultimate wise man. And he invites you also. Because Jesus at the moment of blank chose to put faith in God's word. 
and so can you. Now, the New Testament puts a priority on God's word for the New Testament believer. He said, James, this is how you are to approach the scriptures. He, he says, says this, get rid of all moral filth and evil, meaning spiritual earwax. Isn't that a great picture? Get rid of the spiritual earwax, anything that's not godliness, and humbly accept. You don't go to it as a scientist. You humbly accept, accept the word of God that is planted in you. Don't be mere hearers of the word, but do what it says. I'm willing to allow it to lead me. We've, you were saved for, for a purpose. You were created for a purpose. How are you gonna live that out? What's your toolkit in this life? Second Timothy chapter three says, all scriptures God breathed for teaching, for rebuking, correcting. See the humility there? And training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Parenting in the workforce, living a godly life comes from the word of God. It's not just good intentions. You're saying, I need the tools to live this life. I don't have it in and of myself. This is chapter, Romans chapter 12 says this, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, meaning metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve. Remember, evil doesn't always look like evil. Wrong doesn't always look like wrong. Test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Who doesn't want that? I didn't say easy but good, pleasing, and perfect. And the enemy will come alongside and so he'll mess it up. No, 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 When that voice comes in, good, pleasing, and perfect. Be transformed. It's the, the word's metamorphosis. A caterpillar starts like this, kind of cute, but inside of him is a beautiful butterfly, a blue butterfly, considering the state we live in. How does he go from one to another? He goes in a cocoon and scientists say that in that cocoon, he gets out all of the toxins When you open the word of God, he'll get out all of the toxins so you can become the person who God's created you to be. What's the next slide? How? How? Now, I'm going to take, I just assume that you know, I probably shouldn't do this. Relationship with God, is that a relationship? He's not a thing. He's a relationship, and every relationship takes time. I have to, you have to doesn't matter where you are. You have to be in God's word daily. This is how God speaks to you. You need daily check-ins and extended times. With my wife, I have daily check-ins and extended times. The important relationships in my my life, I have daily check-ins and extended times. If we're not in God's word, why? And if your schedule's too busy, I would doubt that's the schedule God wants you to have. But the question is this, have you ever felt stuck in God's word? Have you ever stuck, felt stuck in your relationship with God's word? I remember several years back, I did. Like, it just, like, I'm just, like, stuck. Like, let me talk to those of you who might be you. Um, recognize, recognize. Go ahead. Okay. There's different seasons of faith require different approaches to the Bible. Um, three life stages, a child, a baby, say a high schooler and a college, college kid and an older man, all have food, but each need different approaches to food. A child's just going to have the very basics, but they got to have food to live. And the word of God is our food, spiritual food. A college kid. I mean, I remember I was down at, uh, 
the cafeteria at Asbury the other day. This kid made a burrito. It was like this high, about this big. I was like, look. And literally, I said two sentences to my friend. I looked back over. It was gone. He was like, mm-hmm. I was like, how did you do that? And we who are older, I mean, we look at menu items like, how much butter did you put in that? You know, we're like, but we all eat with different approaches. When I was younger, I had to, I mean, I had to have the spiritual disciplines and I had to learn about God and how God created me. And we who are younger in the faith, please do not ignore the spiritual disciplines because if you ignore them, no one will know. But in 20 or 25 years, everyone will know. Start now. But as I've gotten older, you know, I don't go to the scriptures anymore. It's kind of like, I have to, God has said, I have to go much more honest. I have to go much more broken. I have to take the unwanted, the hard, the parts of me I want to run from. I'm much more honest. And as I do, he stays with me and heals me. If there was one story that depicted my relationship with the Bible, it'd be the story of the woman of blood in the New Testament. It's at three of the four gospels. She has an issue of blood for 12 years and there's this great crowd and she just touches the hem of Jesus's garment. And at that moment, her ailment that she's had for 12 years, she is healed physically, but then she runs off. And she does the old pattern. All she knows is shame. And so, so but Jesus says, stops. And she says, someone touch me. And there's a bunch of people touching. But Jesus stops and says, where did she go? And he goes and searches for her. And it says that at that moment, she told him the entire truth. And that search is like all the way goes back to the garden. God searching. Where are you? And she tells the whole truth. And this is what I remember My healing, and more than likely yours, isn't complete until we come out of hiding. And there were things that I wanted to keep hidden. There were things that just shame that I had to keep in. There were things that were unlovable, thinking if I expose them, what will people say? And God said, your approach to the scriptures had to be one where you will apply, confess your sins one to another, then he will heal you. You've got to let the guard down and say, I need to take my turn on the mat and be dropped down through the roof to Jesus. Will my friends help me? Only in honesty does God meet you. How honest are you with the scriptures? You just blow through it? Or you say, you're all in. I'm all in also. Another one is this. Some of you experience deep pain. And the devil said, you can't trust him. You've run from him. Pain and confusion are an invitation from Jesus to experience his promises and presence. At the very end of Luke's gospel, there's these two disciples who, I mean, they are in deep confusion. They've been following Jesus called the road to Emmaus. They've been following to Jesus and they don't know that he's alive. They're wondering whether the last three years were legit. What's the deal? I mean, this is in essence the first time someone has deconstructed their faith. But Jesus doesn't get mad at them. He simply becomes a spiritual director before he becomes a Bible expositor. And he says, what are you talking about? And he draws them out. 
And he shows us how to be the church to one another. He draws out their pain. He draws out their confusion. He draws them out where they're at. And then when, they're all, when they're all out, then he says he opens up the scriptures and pointed out where he is in all of it and how all of it led to his suffering also. And at that moment, they said, did our hearts not burn within us? A personal revival through the scriptures led to a corporate revival in their world. Don't allow pain to be a lie from the enemy to where you run from the person who can heal you. Some of us need to open that Bible. Vincent Van Gogh, near the end of his life, did a painting. It's called Still Life with the Bible. And Van Gogh's father was a parent. And he was also a pastor. <laughs> he was a pastor. Big deal, he's a parent. Uh, that's a big deal, but he was a pastor. That's the point. And also Van Gogh's father, grandfather was a, a pastor. Um, but he rejected the faith of his uh, heritage. There's another book in that um, painting called Le Joy La David. I excuse that to my French friends. I'm so sorry. It's called The Joy of Life, which was the mantra of um, Van Gogh's day, which was, in essence, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And Van Gogh put up this painting saying, before us, all, all of us, all of the time, there are two scripts. Which one will you choose to read? And we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus, whose life was not pain-free, but suffered so well, and calls us to that also. Because in the moment of blank, Jesus put faith in God's word. And so can you. It's really a matter of humility. It's a matter of, I see my great need. I bow my knee and my body is connected to my soul. And in doing so, my soul bows also. What would your schedule communicate to me if I saw it this past week about your relationship with God's word? I love you very much. And so maybe God's calling you for the gift of repentance where you simply say, I see that I do, maybe you've rejected one of your great gifts, but no more. Grant me the grace to love you and to love this book. John, I'm gonna ask you to come and I'll pray. And once you stand, John will give us a closing and then our worship team will lead us if you want to stay. So many of you, if you want to go, you can go. But some of you, need to come and pray at the altar and be prayed for because your hearts have maybe drifted. So stand and then John will close us and then you're free to worship here, take your conversations outside or stay worship. Let me pray and then John. Jesus, I ask that my voice become lesser and your voice become greater. We are your sheep. You love us. May we love you. 
may we embrace your word as the bread of life. And the church said together, amen. Thanks for listening. Here at First Alliance Church, our mission is to passionately pursue God, extend life-changing hope, and disciple people to be spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. To learn more about our church or to hear other sermons like this one, visit us at facelex.com.